It's my journey. It's your journey. You need my help and I need yours. Cause we are bumping along. It's my journey. It's your journey. Today we want to talk about the miracle of the Eucharist of Lanciano. Lanciano is a small medieval town nestled in from the coast of the Adriatic Sea in Italy, halfway between San Giovanni Rotondo and Loreto. Everything about Lanciano smacks of the Eucharistic miracle there. Even the name of the town was changed from Anxinum in ancient times to Lanciano, meaning the lance. Tradition has it that the centurion named Longinus, who thrust the lantern to the side of Jesus, striking him in the tip of his heart, from which he shed blood and water, in the gospel account of the crucifixion according to Mark, <clears throat> was from this town. After seeing the events which followed the piercing of Jesus' heart, the darkening of the sun, and the earthquake, he believed that Christ was the Savior. A more physical sign, however, was that Longinus, had had poor eyesight, and after having touched his eyes with the water and blood from the side of Jesus, his eyesight was restored. What a perfect parallel the actions of the centurion were to the Eucharistic miracle. Each touched the heart of Jesus, was healed and converted. He gave up the army, went to Cappadocia, and was martyred for the faith. He is known now as St. Longinus. His feast day is celebrated on March the 15th. The Church of the Eucharistic Miracle is located in the center of the town, but what is the center of the town today was the outskirts of the town back in the 8th century. When the Eucharistic Miracle occurred at that time, it was called the Church of St. Langonian and St. Domitian and was under the custody of the Basilian monks of the Greek Orthodox Rite. That was prior to the Great Schism of 1054. A Basilian monk, wise in the ways of the world but not in the ways of faith, was having a trying time with his belief in the real presence of our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. He prayed constantly for relief from his doubts and the fear that he was losing his vocation. He suffered through the routine of his priesthood day after day and with these doubts gnawing at him. The situation in the world did not help strengthen his faith. There were many heresies cropping up all the time which kept chipping away at the faith, but they were not from outside the church either. <clears throat> Both priests and bishops were victims of these heresies, but they were being spread throughout the church. The priest, being a very intelligent person, couldn't help be, but be more and more convinced by the logic of these heresies, especially the one concerning his particular problem, the physical presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Human logic has always been a great enemy of the soul when we try to understand the divine. One morning when he was having a strong attack of doubt, he began the consecration of the Mass for the people of the town. He used the same size host which is used in the Latin Rite Masses today. What he beheld as he consecrated the bread and wine caused his hands to shake, indeed his whole body. He stood for a long time with his back to the people, and then slowly turned around to them. He said, O fortunate witnesses to whom the blessed God, to confound my disbelief, has wished to reveal himself in this most blessed sacrament and to render himself visible to our eyes. 
Come, brethren, and marvel at our God so close to us. Behold the flesh and blood of our most beloved Christ. He stood for a long time with his back to the people and then slowly turned around to them. What he beheld as he consecrated the bread and wine caused his hands to shake and did his whole body. The host had turned into flesh. The wine had turned into blood. The people, having witnessed the miracle for themselves, began to wail, asking for forgiveness, crying for mercy. Others began beating their breasts, confessing their sins, declaring themselves unworthy to witness such a miracle. Still others went down on their knees in respect and thanksgiving for all the gifts of the Lord had bestowed on them. All spread the story throughout the town and surrounding villages. Jesus even allowed himself to be crucified again. After the miracle, the host was pinned down to a wooden board so that when it dried, it would not curl up as scabbed flesh does. So here he was again with nails in his body, nailed to a piece of wood. The miracle that occurred in 700 was just the beginning. That was 1,250 years ago. Had that miracle taken place and then the flesh and blood disintegrated as would have been normal, the miracle would have been nonetheless a miracle. The priest's faith had been renewed. The entire town, the whole country, and for that matter, became aware of the miracle. Pilgrims flocked to Lanciano to venerate the host-turned flesh. Belief in the Eucharist had been reborn. The gift from the Lord was complete. But that's not all. The miracle is ongoing. The host turned flesh and the wine turned blood without the use of any form of preservative is still present in the reliquary. In 1574, testing was done on the flesh and blood. An unexplainable phenomenon was discovered with the blood. The five pellets of coagulated blood are different sizes and shapes, but any combination weighs the same as the total. In other words, one weighs the same as two, two weighs the same as three, and three weighs the same as five. From the very beginning, the local church accepted this miracle as a true sign from heaven and venerated the Eucharistic flesh and blood in processions on its feast day, the last day of October, last Sunday of October. The fame of the shrine spread throughout the region quickly, and soon all of Italy came to the church in pilgrimage. Many writings authenticating the Eucharistic miracle took place over the years. Because of this has been such an important local miracle the background and history of the events were carefully recorded. There had been a manuscript written in both Greek and Latin attesting to the miracle. It was said to have been written and certified at the time of the miracle. In a chronology of the city of Lanciano, historian Fella wrote that in early 1500, two Brazilian monks came to the church, which was now in the custody of the Franciscus, and asked to stay overnight. They also asked to see the parchment which told the story of the Eucharistic miracle of Lanciano. The Franciscans allowed them to study the parchment overnight, but the next morning the Basilian monks left very early before the Franciscans had awakened and took the manuscripts with them. The motive, it was thought, was that the Basilian monks were ashamed that one of their own had lost his faith in the Eucharist and hoped that by stealing the original document, attesting to the event, it might go away. The Church of the Miracle remained in the custody of the monks of St. Basil until 1176 when the Benedictines took over. However, the building had become very run down and the Benedictines were not overly excited about taking care of it. The Franciscans, however, did not 
want custodianship of the shrine. When one of their benefactors, Bishop Landolfo, was made Bishop of Chiaiti, he gave them the shrine to take care of. So in 1252, the Benedictines left and the Franciscans took over. What they were not aware of until that they actually came to Lanciano was that the church was a disaster. They surmised this was why the Benedictines so easily turned it over to them. In 1887, the Archbishop of Lanciano, Monsignore Petrarco, obtained from Pope Leo XIII a plenary indulgence in perpetuity to those who venerate the Eucharistic miracle during the eight days preceding the feast day. Lanciano was selected as the site of the first Eucharistic Congress for the region of Abruzzi on September the 23rd, 1921. Journeys of Faith brings our pilgrims to this shrine many times each year. Upon entering the church, our attention is immediately focused on the unusual altar. There are two tabernacles rather than the traditional one. The second tabernacle is on top of the first. Continuing down the aisle toward the main altar, we see a large tablet on the wall dating back to 1574, which tells the story of the Eucharistic miracle. How many tests have been made over the years? How many times our dear Lord Jesus allows himself to be prodded and cut, examined under microscopes and photographed? The most recent and extensive scientific research done in 1970 used the most modern scientific tools available. The results of the test are as follows. The flesh is real flesh, the blood is real blood. The flesh consists of the muscular tissue of the heart. The flesh and blood belong to the human species. The flesh and blood have the same blood type, AB. In the blood there were found proteins in the same normal proportions as are found in the serum proteic makeup of fresh normal blood. In the blood there were also found these minerals, chlorides, phosphorus, magnesium, potassium, sodium, and calcium. The preservation of the flesh and of the blood, which were left in their natural state for 12 centuries without any chemical preservatives and exposed to the action of atmospheric and biological agents, remains an extraordinary phenomenon. As part of this most recent investigations, the following comment was made. Though it is alien to my task, strictly speaking, I feel that I should insert the following reflection into the study just completed. The clarification which comes from through in these studies of the nature of the flesh gives little support to the hypothesis of a fraud perpetuated centuries ago. As a matter of fact, supposing that the heart may have been taken from a cadaver, I maintain that only a hand experience in anatomic dissection could would have been able to obtain from such a hollow internal organ such a uniform cut as can be still be glimpsed in the flesh. What that doctor, a scientist, not a theologian, is saying in simple language is that although it's not his task to speculate, it would have been difficult next to impossible for anyone to have cut a slice of the heart in the way that it was done. He also states that it's highly doubtful that there was any fraud involved. Another unusual characteristic of the blood is that when liquefied, it has retained the chemical properties of freshly shed blood. When we cut ourselves and stain our clothes, 
The chemical properties of the blood has gone within 20 minutes to a half an hour. If blood is not refrigerated within an hour maximum, the composition of the blood ra rapidly breaks down. If blood were taken from a dead body, it would lose its qualities quickly through decay. This blood is over 1,250 years old and still contains all its properties, chemicals, and proteins of freshly shed blood. And yet, in the testing, it was determined that no preservatives of any kind were found in the blood. Jesus gives us his heart again in the Eucharistic miracle, which is a heart muscle. He gives us his blood again in this miraculous form to heal us. He gives us his blood with his body in the Eucharist every day to heal us and nourish us. There are instances in history which we'll explore in our book on miracles of the Eucharist where people lived for years on no other nourishment than the Eucharist. He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has life eternal, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. John 6, chapter, uh, verses 54 to 55. We believe that the most perfect form of love is the Eucharistic love of Jesus. In the miracle of Lanciano, he loves us by revealing his very heart and his very blood. It helps us to understand the sacrifice of our perfect lamb, Jesus, in the Holy Mass. How much do I love you? Here is my heart. How much do I love you? Here is my blood being shed for you. Each day during the Mass, Jesus, completely vulnerable, offers us his heart for us to accept or reject. We become part of the incarnation again. Jesus, one with man, God becoming man. As Mary carried Jesus below her heart, we too are allowed to now carry Jesus' very heart, his body, his love in our heart, and we are never the same. This is an excerpt from the chapter on Lanciano in Bob and Penny Lord's book, This is My Body, This is My Blood, Miracles of the Eucharist, published by Journeys of Faith. I remember the first time I went with Bob and Penny to the Miracle of the Eucharist in Lanciano, and that was 1988. And on the uh, autostrada, the uh, freeway system they have in Italy, there are signs going into and out of Lanciano that says Miraculo Eucharistico, which is Miracle of the Eucharist in Italian. So there, they, the people of Italy, uh, that, that shrine is so famous, they actually have it on the signs on the freeway. I also remember going up the steps to venerate and worship uh, Jesus in Eucharist in, in the, at the miracle of the Eucharist of Lanciano. And as I was up at the top kneeling down, it was this if, I don't, can't put it in words, but the, the deepest feeling of, of love in my heart occurred. And to this day, I still remember that moment. In the notes below, I have included links for the Miracles Eucharist book, DVD, and ebooks, and also a link for pilgrimages to Italy because Lanciano is on our pilgrimage itinerary each year that we go to Italy. Thank you for listening. God bless you, and we love you.
please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here's how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel, where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.